The Lord calls us to worship this morning with selections from Isaiah and the Psalms. In Isaiah 49, verse 13, it says, Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will thank you forever. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for gathering us together as your people today, as we gather to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to pour out your Spirit upon us today, afresh and new, that we might offer up praises in your presence that are acceptable in your sight, that the words we say, the songs that we sing, the scriptures that we read, and the way that we hear them would be glorifying to you. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us and be pleased to be among us, that you would convict our hearts by your Holy Spirit of the truth of the gospel, that we would hear it and believe and rejoice. And Lord, as we think about this day, as we mark Christmas, we also, Lord, think of your second coming, and we pray that you would make us your people watchful and living in lives that are full of the knowledge of the glory of God, that we would Truly bring glory and honor to you by the way that we live. Help us, Lord, to do this, we pray, even in this day of worship. And Lord, we join our voices together now and pray together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Provide us the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
For all who look to the Lord Jesus Christ alone as their Savior of their sins, hear the assurance of God's pardon from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Please turn in your hymnal to number 195 as we sing together, Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What were those, that heavenly host, all of those angels, what were they doing? Why were they singing? Because they wanted to give the good news of God. Because they wanted to give the good news of God. They were glorifying Him and praising Him. Why was it so special? What was so special about that night? What were they telling about? Jesus, the Savior, had just been born. This was a, a moment in history that changes everything. It's the reason why we are here this morning worshiping. It's the reason why we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus came into the world. And let me ask you, who had promised that Jesus would come? <coughs> who had made that promise? Gabriel. 
Gabriel told about the promise, but God had promised his people that he would send the Savior. Do you remember who the first person was that heard that promise? Who was the first person in the Bible? Think about it. Go way back. Adam and Eve. Titus, exactly right. You remember when, when God spoke, he said that the, the head of the serpent would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And who is that seed? Jesus, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning that as you sing, you are joining your voices with the host of heaven in praising God. And brothers and sisters around the world who are also doing the exact same thing we're doing this morning, gathered as God's people to church to praise Him, to lift up His name, and to make much of Him. I want to pray for you now that, that the Lord would bless you in doing that this, this Christmas Eve Sunday. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that Your Word is true and sure, and that promises that You have made Ages and generations ago, when this world looked much different and we were not here, you made promises that you would do things, and you have fulfilled those promises in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we gather together this morning, I pray, Lord, for our covenant children, that they would consider the truth and the surety of your word. There are many things in this world that don't seem sure. We're not exactly sure how they might happen. And we don't have the strength or power to bring them to pass. But we praise you, Lord, that you promised to send your Son, and you did. And so we do join our hearts and our voices in offering up praise to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Our responsive reading this morning is Psalm 22, verses 1 through 22. If you would please turn in the hymnal to page 790. We will read this together responsively. <coughs> Psalm 22, verses 1 through 22. I'll begin with the light portion. If you would please respond out loud together with the bold. Page 790. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far forsaken me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan circle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open, their mouths wide against me. My heart is turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a washer, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. 
Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Amen. Let's continue to worship by standing together and singing hymn number 218, Angels from the Realms of Glory. I wanted to pray for brothers and sisters around the world. I heard a a very encouraging and stirring report this week uh, from one of our missionaries that uh, some Christians had been imprisoned uh, because of a a public post that had been shared about a baptism. They were celebrating that baptism in a country in Africa, and uh, many people were imprisoned because, because of it. And uh, a prayer request was sent out, and then not very many days later, an update was sent that not only had those who had been in prison uh, been let out, but also it had been legally changed in that country, that is a closed country, that people may practice Christianity and not have fear of being arrested or put to death. And in that country, it is uh, a, an offense worthy of death. So it is not by any means a Christian country. But I I hope that you would be encouraged as I am, that the Lord is moving, that he is building his church, that he is caring for each of us, and that he is doing so for brothers and sisters around the world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is a privilege that we very easily take for granted that we can gather here this morning in safety without any cause for alarm. And Lord, there are brothers and sisters around the world who who gather for worship, who don't take it for granted that they might be able to make it home safely. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this answer to prayer this week, that these brothers and sisters were released out of prison. And Lord, we, we admit, we bow before your sovereignty that if they had remained in prison, you would still be the good heavenly father that we proclaim you to be. But you saw fit to have them be released. 
and also that some of the challenges that they have endured for many, many years in this country and Africa now may practice their faith and not fear death. Lord, we pray that you would give us rejoicing for our brothers and sisters for this work that you are doing. Lord, it's a reminder to us that you are working not only here at Lebanon, but you also work to the ends of the earth, that you're not contained or confined by anything that man may do. And we rejoice with our brothers and sisters today, and we give you thanks for answering the prayers of your people. Lord, I pray for these believers that you would encourage their hearts. I pray for us, Lord, that we would continue to think about our fellowship with them. We confessed this morning before you that we believe in the communion of the saints, and we praise you, Lord, for delivering them. Lord, we pray for those in our midst, in our own church family and church body and in this community who are suffering because of sickness or family issues or grief or financial problems. Lord, many are the reasons that we have to come into your presence this morning and lift up our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would be with us by your spirit, that you would meet our needs, that you would be showing yourself faithful to us in the many ways that you are. We are a blessed people in this room this morning. If we pause now to give testimony to the way that you have been faithful to each of our families, just in this last week, we would be here throughout the day. We praise you and we thank you for your goodness to us. Help us not to believe that any of your blessings are because we have earned them. Your word says you are no man's debtor. And we praise you, Lord, that you are so gracious and kind to us. And this day is a reminder of it as we celebrate the resurrection and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded in the birth of our Savior that you have cared for your people. And so we look to you in faith. We offer up these prayers to you and supplications on behalf of brothers and sisters who are suffering in our own church body. And we pray these prayers in faith, knowing that according to your will, you will answer in your time. And so we rejoice in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 16. And also, if you would, put a finger in Matthew, chapter 25. We're going to read a few verses there as well this morning. We'll begin with Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And then Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory, excuse me, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let's get down to verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. This is the fourth Sunday in our Advent series, The Coming of the King. The sermon this morning is entitled, The Two Advents of Jesus. And as a reminder, the word Advent means an arrival or a coming of a significant thing, event, or person. The Old Testament closes with the book of Malachi saying in chapter 1, verse 5, that the Lord will be magnified beyond the borders of Israel. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, He is coming. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And then after that, as the Old Testament closed, there was about 400 years of silence from God. No new revelation, no new scriptures written. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, he describes that time by saying that the people walked in darkness. They lived in fear of the reign of sin and evil around them and within them. They feared death and they feared the real eternal separation from God that death meant. Into this silent darkness, God sent his angel, to the shepherds out in the field. And he says to them, 
those glorious words. There is born to you this day a Savior. The shepherds made haste. They went to Bethlehem. They looked in the stable to Mary and Joseph and to the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. In the last battle, C.S. Lewis wrote about Queen Lucy also peering into a stable. It says in the last battle, yes, said the Lord Diggory. Its inside is bigger than its outside. Yes, said Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. Those words about the Lord Jesus Christ, the babe, God became man in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we celebrate this Christmas season, the coming of God in flesh to save his people from their sins. It struck me this week looking at these passages that I've been reading for many years now, as many of you have, that the angels gave the only response they could give at the announcement of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. They praised God. They lifted up their voices. It was the heavenly host. And you'd think, well, certainly a dispatch will do. But when you rule and reign over the entire universe, you have all assurance that if you send all the multitudes of heaven, everything will still stand in place. You can spare tens of thousands of angels to go and praise and sing. It must have overwhelmed the shepherds. But it is our right response as well. And so this morning, as we consider these two passages in Luke and in Matthew, I want to encourage you with five reasons to rejoice at the two advents of Jesus. As I mentioned, an advent is a coming of a significant person, event, or thing. The first advent of Jesus we celebrate in Mark at Christmas. The second advent of Jesus we look forward to in hope as he promised to come for his people. And he will come again. So five reasons this morning to rejoice, just as the angels did at the two advents of Jesus. The first is that the hand of God is moving and orchestrating all things that take place. Just consider for a moment, even in this nativity story, Luke opened in chapter 1 verse 5 saying that King Herod was the one who was ruling in Judea at the time. We just read about the decree of the almighty Caesar Augustus who when he spoke and issued forth his decree, all the world had to move. And then at the end of chapter 2 in the section that we were reading this morning, it says that as the shepherds went to Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger, they found it just as they were told. God sent the angel, the angel told the message, and the shepherds found it just as God had said. It's a reminder to each of us that the hand of God is moving and nothing is staying it. His decrees are from before our world was even created. He is pleased to take action in time, in the times in which we live. And he is glorified in using the kings and princes of the world for his own purposes. He uses them. He brings kingdoms up, he sets them down, he raises up kings, he sets them down, and whether they be King Herod or the mighty Caesar Augustus, who spoke and the whole world had to move at his bidding, his census actually was to serve the sovereign will and plan greater and higher than his. It was to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the words were spoken, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are least, you have been chosen. So yes, Caesar Augustus made a decree, but he only made a decree because God had set it forth in motion before the world began. He, this mighty king, was doing nothing more than serving the sovereign over all the universe. God is moving and orchestrating things in this world. It's a reminder to us in all the intricate details of the Old Testament prophecies that God is at work to fulfill his will. Not one little piece would be left out. Go back and read in the Old Testament about the virgin birth 
We read about it again this morning that she brought forth her firstborn son. Luke is careful and meticulous in pointing out the details. God had promised this. God brought it forth. Nothing can stay his hand. The prophecy about Bethlehem that we just looked at in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And also about David's throne that we looked at three weeks ago now. We should rejoice to know that as the God who does not change, who did all of these things, who we say and can clearly confess that he was working then, we should rejoice that he is at work in our lives as well. He is at work today in your life, accomplishing his purposes. Today's not a throwaway day. Your life is not a throwaway life. You're not spinning your wheels or wasting time. God has you exactly, precisely where he means to have you, or you wouldn't be there. There should be comfort and hope in this, dear people of God. He is working in your life. May he give you eyes to see it and rejoice, just as the angels did. Number two, five reasons to rejoice in the two advents of Jesus. That God comes to us. He is the initiator and the securer of our salvation. Consider for just a moment, it wasn't Mary's idea to be overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That she would conceive a baby in a way that no other woman in the history of the world ever had or ever will again. She didn't choose that. God chose that. He did it. Just as the angels left the throne room of heaven at God's bidding to give the messages to Mary and to Joseph and to the shepherds that we read about this morning, it is a reminder to each of us, lest we pat ourselves on the back or believe that our salvation is in our hands, God is the initiator of salvation. He draws his people to himself and praise the Lord. Regarding salvation, The prophets described God as a mighty champion coming to defeat all of his foes, to deliver his people from all of their enemies, to redeem them unto himself for his glory and his honor and for his great name alone. If you ask yourself, why did God choose me? We believe in unconditional election. We believe that there is nothing that a man or woman or a boy or girl could do to earn the favor of God, to say that that's why God chose me. We rejoice in unconditional election. If you ask yourself, why did God save me? You can answer that confidently and clearly for his own glory and for no other reason. You can go look in the mirror. You will not find it. Look at your life. You sin too much. For God to choose you because of your goodness. He chose you to glorify his own name. Rejoice in that today. Consider the Garden of Eden. That unless God goes into the garden after Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve would have been left in that garden. Unless God had come calling for them, they would have been left naked, ashamed, and guilty of sin before Almighty God. And yet God in his grace comes to them and calls to them and calls them to himself. Rejoice this Christmas, dear believer. God has sent his son to you, for you. He is your savior. He is Christ the Lord to redeem you of your sins. Maybe just a reminder from Isaiah this morning for each of us, a helpful reminder lest we think we contribute in some way to our salvation. Isaiah chapter 59. I want to read just a a little bit of a passage here. We need to be reminded of what sin is. Because I think every day in our hearts we lower the standard of righteousness. We, We believe sin is not really so bad. That we're really not as bad off as what we read in the Bible. That's about other people. That's about Horrible people that do terrible things that can't be about me. But the Bible says much different. Isaiah chapter 59, I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. Therefore justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. 
We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equally cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head, he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. The only way that you and I rejoice today is because God came and brought salvation. The only thing we contribute is our sin. We have nothing else to bring. I want to ask you this morning, do you know why God saved you? Do you know the purpose for why? In celebrating this day, rejoicing in the baby Jesus coming, why did God save you? The Bible tells you why. In Romans chapter 8, he saved you to conform you to the image of his son, to make you beautiful, who are filled with transgressions and iniquities and sins. In Romans chapter 8, it says that who he predestined, who he chose before the foundation of the world to be his, who he predestined for salvation, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why am I saved? For the glory of God that I might be as Christ. Number three, reason why you should rejoice at the two advents of Jesus as you think about stories in the Bible, many times as we read them, maybe you have read other stories and you try to pick out, who am I in this story? What character am I like? What qualities would I like to have? As I read from Luke this morning, maybe you even did it then. Do you recognize who you are in the story? At best, we're the shepherds. We are the shepherds. In their day, shepherds had no status. They were poor they were unclean. They couldn't even go to the temple. They were not ceremonially clean. They couldn't be around other people the same way. They were unable to change their social status. The shepherds in this story are a reminder that Jesus, the glorified Son of God, comes and identifies with sinners because that's the only kind of people there are in this world. There was no lower social or financial or personal status that the shepherds could fill. They were not even allowed. Their word was not even considered credible enough to be brought into a civil matter and be a witness. They weren't even considered people who could speak. And yet, in God's providence, he determined that they would be some of the first evangelists to spread the good news of the birth of a Savior. If you look in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 in Luke, it says that they went and told people everything they had heard and seen, and that people marveled at the things that the shepherds were saying. It doesn't mean that everyone who heard it believed, but they marveled, they noted it. Why on earth would God send an angel to talk to them? After all, we do have a temple. We do have those in political power, those who are leaders, and they wondered at it. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it describes you and I, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. James says it this way in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And then he says... Of his own will, 
God's own will, God's own choosing. He brought us forth by his truth. Your salvation is a cause for rejoicing. Jesus' coming is a cause for your rejoicing. At best, you and I are the shepherds in this story. Reason number four to rejoice at the two advents of Jesus. That God does not abandon his people or his promises. Think about those words that were carefully chosen. We know that the angel who left the throne room of God went with a message. He was given specific words. He wasn't sent to go come up with something. He was sent with a message upon which all, the song says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, O little town of Bethlehem. The angel told the shepherds, there is born to you this day a Savior. For all of our posturing, for all of our cleaning ourselves up and doing our best to look competent, to look healthy and look whole, we are broken people to our core. And even the thoughts and motives of our hearts are filled with our sins. At best, that's what we're doing. But we come this morning in faith, believing that the words that the angel told the shepherds, a Savior has been born, that it's true. That in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior had been born. We sing those words, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Someone once said that thousands of babies have grown up to be kings, but only one king became a baby. That's true. We need this story. We need to be reminded of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. I ask you this morning, dear people, what are you hoping in this morning? Does your hope rest in the Savior? Or does it rest in something else? In Jesus, God makes good on His promises to His people throughout all the ages. Every promise that you read about in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as He promised in the garden that the seed of Eve would crush the head of Satan. I want to ask you this morning, if you believe that that's true, that God doesn't abandon His people or His promises, in what ways are you coming before your Heavenly Father, confessing and repenting of your orphan-like thinking and living? One of the things that Jesus promised to His people in John chapter 14, He told them He would send them the Holy Spirit and He would be in them and guide them in truth. And He said in John 14, 18, I do not leave you as orphans, now that might seem like a standalone promise. It might seem like a standalone statement. But God has been promising to his people since we opened our Bibles in Genesis. I will not leave you. I will not let you alone. And so as you read the different covenants that we've looked at over the last three weeks, what are the, one of the main promises that God reminds his people of, I am with you. I'm not leaving I will care for you. I will provide for you. And all of us at our core, that's what we wonder. Is he going to leave us? Is he going to let us alone? Jesus promises he won't. And lastly, the fifth reason to rejoice at the two advents of Jesus is that all suffering, all suffering is according to the plan of God. Jesus came to suffer and die. That is a reality. This little baby being born, the sweet little baby in a manger, came to be born to die. But maybe there's a way to improve on that statement. Jesus didn't just come simply to die. Jesus came to rise victorious over death. This little baby did come to die, but he came to live again. And it means... That all of our suffering, everything that you go through, every heartache, every grief, every pain and difficulty, all of it is according to the plan of God. I can't explain it. I can't tell you why he chose for you or for your family what you are going through now. 
I can't tell you why you're having to wait. But I can tell you that the plan is in his hands and he is bringing it to pass. The babe in the manger is the suffering servant on the cross. Have you been despised or rejected or betrayed? All of our questions, all of our struggles with the suffering of this life has to come here and bow. Otherwise, we think someone is picking on us in a cosmic way that seems unkind and unjust. He is not picking on you. He has chose that to be the path to cause you to look to him. Maybe to strip away from you some of the things that you think are strengths. That you might fully and completely depend upon him. That you wouldn't trust in your own, your own ways of delivering yourself. We love to do that. We are a Rambo culture. The man of one that can run in and defeat everything. There is nobody in this room or has ever lived except for the Lord Jesus who does that. None of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wanted to encourage the church at Corinth by saying, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that brings me to two differences about the two advents of Jesus that I want to point out just briefly for you this morning. The first is that the initiation of the kingdom and the coming of the baby Jesus and the consummation when Jesus will return again could not be more different. Not all things are or will be as they appear to be right now. J.C. Ryle in his expository thoughts on the Gospel of Mark wrote this, He came the first time in weakness, a tender infant born of a poor woman in a manger in Bethlehem, unnoticed, unhonored, and scarcely known. He shall come the second time in royal dignity with the armies of heaven around him to be known, recognized, and feared by all the people of the earth. It says in the book of Revelation chapter 1, something very similar. John wrote to the seven churches, Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne of God, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye, every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. It couldn't be more different. Can you imagine being in the temple that day when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus? According to the tradition that they had been given, they brought him in and Simeon and Anna still hadn't heard about Jesus. And it was only because the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. This was, this was not the announcement that, that a king of this earth would make about the birth of their son who would inherit a throne. But make no mistake, there will be no one who doesn't know him. There will be perfect knowledge of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we will all confess it. And the last difference that I want to point out, there is one focal point in both of these advents. One focal point alone but two different realities. The focal point is the radiant glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It will be exalted. It will be majestic. You won't even have to think it. Your knees will hit the floor. Your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But there are only two kinds of people who will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers and unbelievers. 
According to the Bible, believers, as we read in Matthew chapter 25 this morning, believers will be comforted. They will be brought into rest and rejoicing. But it says that unbelievers, those who were sent to the other side of the judgment throne, will walk into eternal condemnation and unrelenting agony of separation from God. And it will not be that they will forget or they won't know who it is that sent them. They will know perfectly. J.C. Ryle wrote in his Advent devotion how awful it would be to be condemned by someone. But how awful more still to be condemned by the one who offered grace from the punishment of sin. I want to end this morning with a reading from Revelation chapter 19. Speaking of us seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, the King who is coming. Now I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Today we celebrate the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the second advent when he will come again. I want to ask you this morning, is he coming for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice and add our voices to the host of heaven and brothers and sisters around the world who proclaim the excellencies of your name, who delight to rehearse the story the great drama of the scriptures that we have been studying and reading about these last four weeks of Advent. We praise you, Lord, for coming to save us sinners. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to truly have faith in you, to trust in you. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning who would say, I don't know the Lord. I hear these promises, but I don't know if they are for me. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would draw them to yourself, that they would cry out to you in faith and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Today is the day of salvation. What a wonderful day to know the Lord on Christmas Eve. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people, of faithful believers who year after year celebrate and enjoy this Christmas season. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, quicken our hearts, that we would be longing and waiting for the coming of our Savior. Help us to believe and to cling to your promises and that you do not come up short, that you will come again to receive us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 203, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing.
Father, we thank you for being able to pause at this point in our service to give thanks to you for your faithfulness to Lebanon Presbyterian Church for nearly 250 years. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the gifts of your grace, for calling us to yourself, and for bestowing on each of our families the gifts that you have given us. We're reminded that this time of year that there are many people in this world who have a lot less than we do. And so we give thanks to you for the ways that you have blessed us, and we do so with the knowledge that it is not because of us that you have bestowed these blessings on us. Lord, help us to be cheerful givers. We pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings this morning, and particularly that the name of the Lord Jesus would be made known, and that you would use these, even these offerings for the Ministerial Relief Fund to comfort those by your grace, those who are hurting and who miss loved ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ, 
the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.